Welcome back to the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Today, you're listening to Episode 11, the 1997 Trans-South Financial 400 from Darlington Raceway in South Carolina. So, the series had run four Winston Cup races and then had taken a weekend off, and the fifth race of the season would be at Darlington, the spring event. Coming into the race, Dale Jarrett was the points leader, and he held a 29-point lead over Terry Labonte. Dale Jarrett had won the most recent race at Atlanta and also had run very strong at Rockingham, where he finished second and led the most laps, and he had finished third at Richmond, losing the race on a late race restart. So Jarrett very easily could have won three of the first races of the season. Terry Labonte had been his consistent self, being in the top 10 in all four of the races and trailing Dale Jarrett by 29 points. Mark Martin was third in points, 70 points behind. Jeff Gordon's engine trouble at Atlanta had mired him back to being fourth in points, 72 points behind Dale Jarrett, but his car had looked plenty strong to start the season with season-opening victory at Daytona, following up with back-to-back victories at Rockingham, and a good fourth-place finish at Richmond, too, as well. Bobby Labonte, whose team had switched to Pontiac for the 1997 season, was solidly fifth in points, 101 points out. Ricky Rudd and Ricky Craven had dropped to 6th and 7th place, respectively, in points after rough weekends at Atlanta. Jeff Burden was 8th in points, doing a nice job in the number 99 car. Bobby Hamilton in the number 43 car was ninth in points. And Ernie Irvin and Jeff Bodine were tied for 10th in points. Rusty Wallace and Dale Earnhardt at this point in the season were 15th and 16th in points, 194 and 199 points, respectively, behind Dale Jarrett. Qualifying would happen on Friday afternoon, and Dale Jarrett would win the pole with a lap speed of 171.095 miles an hour. If you remember, Dale Jarrett was also the pole sitter for the 1996 Southern 500, and Jarrett had a chance to win the Winston Million, but unfortunately slipped in oil early in the race and crashed his car. So Jarrett was certainly looking for redemption as the series returned back to Darlington. It was a strong qualifying effort by Ricky Craven. He earned the outside pole position. Bobby Labonte in the number 18 car would start third. Jeff Bodine continued his strong start to this season, and he would start fourth. Mark Martin was fifth quickest. Jeff Burton was sixth quickest. The second place finisher in the 1996 Southern 500, driving a number eight Circuit City car, was Hutch Strickland. Ernie Irvin had qualified eighth. Sterling the Marlin was ninth quickest. Jeff Gordon had slipped between turns one and two, costing him a shot at a pole, and he would have to settle for a 10th place qualifying position. Lake Speed was 11th, and Terry Labonte was 12th. When we talk about some other notable qualifiers, Rusty Wallace qualified 15th, Ricky Rudd qualified 16th, and Bill Elliott qualified 18th. But it was all disappointing for a couple former NASCAR Winston Cup champions. Dale Waltrip would have to take a provisional and start 41st, and Dale Earnhardt opted to take a past champion's provisional and start 43rd in the field. When we talk about pleasant surprises in qualifying, Gary Bradbury in the number 19 car had qualified 14th, and you have to give a call to this TriStar Motorsports team. They had now qualified for all five races, the first two with Loy Allen Jr. and the last three with Gary Bradbury. The best qualifying rookie was David Green, who was 22nd quickest. The did-not-qualifieds include Billy Standridge, who had missed his fourth race out of the first five races of the season in a number 78 car. We had two drivers miss their first race of the season. Dick Trickle failed to qualify in the number 90 Heilig Myers car, 
And Steve Grissom, who was our pole sitter at Daytona and also was involved in a hard wreck in Atlanta, also failed to qualify. Um, we had a driver's change, too, as well. Joe Nemechek was mourning the unfortunate death of his brother, John Nemechek, who had crashed hard in a NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series race at Homestead Speedway. A few days later, approximately five days later, he unfortunately succumbed to those injuries. And Joe Nemechek decided not to run the Trans-South Financial 400 at Darlington. So Phil Parsons qualified 29th and would drive the number 42 Bell South Mobility Chevrolet. So the Darlington race would be 293 laps or 400 miles on the egg-shaped facility at Darlington Raceway. And the race would be run on March 23rd, 1997. Now, this was a historic day at Darlington because it would be the final race of where the front stretch would be switched to where the back stretch is now. So basically what happened at Darlington was there were unable to expand the previous front stretch because of a highway that ran behind the racetrack. So if you actually look at this last race at Darlington on TV, it's very interesting. There's actually more seating on the back stretch. So they actually have um, a double deck, uh, upper deck of seats on the back stretch, but the front stretch, they just have a single deck of seats. So at that time at Darlington, the tighter corner was the first and second corner and the wider corner um, or the greater radius was turns three and four. Now, this would be the last race that they would be under that current configuration. When the series would come back to run the 7 and 500 in late summer at Darlington, the track would be flip-flopped. So the start-finish line would be moved to the back stretch, and the former front stretch would become the back stretch. And the biggest change would be is that all the faster sweeping corner of turns one and two would now be in place, and turns three and four would be that much tighter corner. So what were the big stories coming into this race? Dale Jarrett in his hot streak. He had won one race, but had an opportunity really to win three races. Had Jeff Gordon not found the handle late to pass Jarrett at Rockingham, and had there not been a late race restart at Richmond, it's very likely that Dale Jarrett would be working on three consecutive victories. Jeff Gordon was looking for a bounce back. After that disappointing engine problem in Atlanta, he was looking to get his season back on track. And of course, everyone was still wondering about the struggles of Dale Earnhardt. Earnhardt had continued to struggle to start the season. He did finally get a top 10 finish at Atlanta, but it had been a difficult start to the season for Earnhardt. He was hoping Darlington, a track where he typically ran well, would help get his season going back in the right direction. Now, of course, when we talk about Darlington, the biggest concern, of course, is always tires. Tire wear is always very, very excessive at Darlington. And usually after about 30 to 40 laps, you see those tires really drop off. And sometimes the speeds drop by as much as one to sometimes even one and a half seconds. So tire management would certainly be important in this race. The 1997 Trans-South Financial 400 at Darlington in South Carolina would be covered by ESPN. And they typically covered the majority of races at Darlington through the years. Now I have to give a shout out to ESPN before we talk about the race, because this was just an unbelievably well-produced opening for the race. So they came on the air and they're playing this old time music and it was in black and white. And they were showing all this great footage of Richard Petty flipping 
his car on the front stretch and Kale Yarbrough's car going out of the racetrack. And then, of course, David Pearson and Kale Yarbrough winning. And they had interviews with the old-time drivers. And it was black and white. And then they, of course, flashed to the current race and talked about the big stories coming into the race. Dale Jarrett, can he overcome the disappointment at the 1996 Southern 500, which had he won, he would have won the million-dollar Winston bonus. Jeff Gordon, can he bounce back from bad luck at Atlanta and capture his fourth consecutive win at Darlington in a row? They also talked about Dale Earnhardt. He was going to have to start in the back of the field, 43rd place, because he'd taken a past champions provisional and also have to pit on the backstretch too as well. So it really was a really great opening segment by ESPN as they kind of went through all this history and talked about the current stories today. Probably one of my favorite kind of openings that ESPN had for the entire season. So, of course, as we had talked about earlier, Dale Jarrett was on the pole and Ricky Craven was started in second. And Jarrett was able to take the lead from the pole it didn't take long for us to have our first caution of the race. Bobby Hamilton crashed his number 43 STP Pontiac in turn four. He had damage to the left front and had flattened the right side of the car too as well. Unfortunately, a left rear tire shredded and damaged the quarter panel. And it appeared that um, he had had contact with Bobby Hillen causing the accident. So just five laps into the race, we had our first caution. The race restarted on lap 13 and we quickly got another caution a few laps later because bungee cords had fall off the 43 car. On lap 18, we'd had our second caution of the race. 25 laps into the race, Jeff Gordon had worked his way from his 10th starting position up to third, and Sterling Marlin was driving slow on the apron as the caution came out. We would have yet another caution come out on lap 28. This time, it involved a crash involving Mike Wallace. It had been a very difficult start to the season for Mike Wallace. He'd missed the first three races of the season in a row and had a very mediocre day at Atlanta. He had flattened the right side of the car, and as they talked to him back at the garage area, he was hopeful that they would be able to repair the car and make some laps, but that would not be the case. Mike Wallace would complete just 26 laps and be considered and be credited with a last-place finish in 43rd place. So on this incident, it looked like that the 75 and 81 card made slight contact and Greg Sachs and number 20 card was just barely able to avoid it. Dale Jarrett had led the first 28 laps of the race and the leaders decided that they should now pit. They came off a pit road with Dale Jarrett leading Jeff Gordon second and Ricky Craven in third. It was reported during this caution period that Dale Earnhardt had slight damage to the nose and that the four car was losing water and actually got lapped under caution. They later would point out that the reason why Sterling Marlin's car was losing water was that the radiator had been punctured with a screwdriver. So on lap 34, the race restarted, and the leaders were actually Robert Presley and Robbie Gordon. Neither of those two drivers had pitted because they had pitted under previous caution period. Dale Jarrett ran third, Jeff Gordon was fourth, and Ricky Craven was fifth. After the restart, Gordon wasted no time passing Dale Jarrett in turn three. On the next lap, he was able to get around Robbie Gordon, and he passed Robert Presley off turn four in the 36th lap of the race. Robbie Gordon's decision to stay out had not been a success. He was struggling mightily and fight, fading quickly back through the field. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the, the announcers yelled, Jeff Gordon has hit the wall in turn three, and Gordon had indeed brushed the wall because he had likely gotten into oil. Well, no sooner had that happened that there was a big crash in turn three. Chad Little had hit Cal Petty, and Cal Petty had crashed hard into the wall and actually collected David Green, too, as well. David Green was doing his best to try to stop the car in turns three and four, 
Remember at this time, three and four Darlington, as we talked about, was the faster sweeping corner, but he just had nowhere to go, and he slammed right into the side of Cal Petty. Petty would end up finishing 33rd, and David Green would finish 41st, being credited with a did-not-finish in the race. And we had our fourth caution in just 40 laps into the race. During this caution period, the hood was up on the number 77 car driven by Bobby Hillen, and he continued to lose laps in the pits. It was ultimately decided that an oil leak would put him out of the race, and he'd be credited with a 42nd-place finish after just 42 laps complete. The struggles continued for the number 77 team. They hadn't had a lot of success to start with, and they had torn up a lot of race cars too as well. So the race would restart on lap 45. Um, because Jeff Gordon had brushed the wall, he decided that, I'm sorry, Ray Evernham had decided, his crew chief, that it would be best for Jeff Gordon the pit. The number 24 had minimal damage, but they were able to stay on the lead lap. So when the race restarted on lap 45, it was Dale Jarrett leading, uh, Robert Presley hanging in there with a second-place run. Jeff Burton was in third. Ricky Craven was fourth. And the runner-up of the 1996 Southern 500, Hutch Strickland, ran fifth. It wouldn't take long for another caution to come out. This would be the fifth caution of the race on lap 49, when the number 29 Cartoon Network's car and the number 19 car of Gary Bradbury had hard contact with the wall. Dale Jarrett now had suddenly brushed the wall in turns three as drivers again were concerned that there might be oil on the track. Jarrett and his crew chief, Todd Parrott, determined that the car looked good enough that they were not worried about making adjustments to the air dam. Um, so there would actually be no damage to the number 29 car in that incident with um, Gary Bradbury. Uh, the number 77, as we had talked about earlier, likely put oil down on the track. Uh, Jeff Gordon pitted again because there was concern something was dragging the bottom of the car in the right rear, and his car was very loose. They announced on the broadcast that Lake Speed had headed to the pits, and Dale Earner worked his way up to the 29th position. The race would restart on lap 54, and Jeff Burton very quickly grabbed the lead from Hutch Strickland. Dale Jarrett had dropped back to the fifth position. Less than 60 laps into the race, we already had our sixth caution of the race for oil on the racetrack. Notable drivers were Johnny Benson. He had started 36, but was all the way up to 12th. Hutch Strickland had grabbed second place after the restart, and Jeff Burton had dropped the fourth, while Ricky Craven ran second and Ernie Irvin ran third. Didn't take Ernie Irvin long to pass Ricky Craven for second position. A few laps later, Ernie Irvin passed Hutch Strickland in turn one and was able to lead lap 68. Hutt ended up passing Ernie back in turn one. And two laps later, Jeff Burden passed Hutt in turn four and was able to lead the next nine laps. It was determined that Ricky Rudd was not feeling good and had the flu all weekend, and it was decided that Ricky Rudd would be replaced by veteran NASCAR Bush Series driver at that time, Eldon Sawyer. A few laps later, Ricky Cray, I'm sorry, Ernie Irvin was able to move into second position, and Jeff Gordon, who had to start all the way back at the tail end of the lead lap, had already worked his way up to the 15th position. Ernie Irvin was able to take the lead on lap 80, and he would lead the next 25 laps. Jeff Gordon was able to pass the one car of Morgan Shepard and move his way into the top 10. Gordon had 31 lap fresher tires, and he was quickly bulldozing his way through the field rather easily. 
He was 29th at the restart, and 23 laps later, he was up to 6th. He moved to 3rd around lap 90. After 90 laps, it was Ernie Irvin leaving, Jeff Byrne running 2nd, Jeff Gordon 3rd, Hutch Strickland 4th, and Ricky Craven in 5th. Dale Earnhardt, meanwhile, was struggling. After an early initial charge up through the field, he was mired back in 30th position and complaining that the car was way too tight. Jimmy Spencer had been a big mover early in the race, and he had moved up to 10th after starting 25th. Jeff Bodine had also moved in the top five, while Ricky Craven was fading. After an early caution fest that had included six cautions in the first 60 laps, we finally got a long green flag run and our first opportunity for green flag pit stops. Hot Strickland and Ricky Craven were among the first drivers to pit, and eventually Ernie Irvin pitted too as well. Now, the TV broadcast was wondering how long Jeff Gordon would choose to stay out. He had much fresher tires than the leaders, but they also were wondering if Gordon didn't want to give up too much time by staying out as the leaders would get fresh tires and be, at times, probably a second to a second and a half faster than Gordon a lap. Everham knew that he didn't want Gordon to lose that much time after charging back up through the field, and he decided to have Gordon pit. Mike Skinner was able to lead laps 105 through 112. Uh, during the exchange of green flag pit stops, Crave, Ricky Craven brushed the wall and was forced to pit, eventually losing a lap. Jeff Gordon Burden was able to take the lead on one lap 113 after Mike Skinner pitted, although Skinner had trouble finding pit road too as well. After the green flag pit stops, the leaderboard looked like this. Jeff Burden was in the lead. Ernie Irvin was running second. Jeff Gordon was third. Jeff Bodine was fourth. Jimmy Spencer was fifth. Dale Jarrett was in sixth. Hutch Strickland was seventh. Mark Martin was 8th, Michael Waltrip was ninth, and Bobby Labonte was 10th. To give you an idea of the lap speeds of the drivers, with new tires on, most drivers were averaging over 162 miles an hour a lap. The 7th caution of the race would come out on lap 121 when Dave Marcus wrecked off of turn 2. Fortunately, he was able to avoid having hard contact with the inside wall, and he actually continued on in the race. He would finish in 28th position, eventually three laps down. During this caution flag, Ricky Rudd, who was ailing due to the flu, got out of the car and let veteran Bush Series driver Eldon Sawyer step in. Fortunately for all the drivers, when Dave Marcus spun on the backstretch and brought out the caution, no one was caught a lap down. All the leaders had already made pit stops. As a result, because the leaders had made pit stops at the back end of that green flag run, nobody chose among the leaders to pit. The race restarted on lap 127 with Jeff Burden leading. His Roush teammate, Ted Musgrave, who had started 21st, had worked his way up into the 8th position. Green flag racing would be short-lived, and we'd have the 8th caution of the race on lap 135 due to oil on the backstretch. None of the leaders pitted, but Mark Martin and Rusty Wallace did both decide to pit. When the race would restart on lap 141, Jeff Burden would be in the lead, Jeff Gordon was running 2nd, Jeff Bodine was in third, Ernie Irvin was fourth, and his Yates teammate Dale Jarrett was running fifth. There were 22 cars in the lead lap. Meanwhile, Dale Earnhardt was continuing the struggle. He was in 27th place, one lap down. Quickly after the restart, Jeff Gordon pounced and was able to pass Jeff Burden in turn two. Gordon would lead the next 10 laps of the race. Meanwhile, Ken Schrader and Morgan Shepard were both having solid runs, with Schrader having his best run of the season in ninth, and Morgan Shepard was running 10th. Jeff Burden was able to regain the lead on lap 151 after Jeff Gordon had led 10 laps. Ernie Irvin continued to march toward the front and moved into third position, and Ted Gravasgrave had now moved his way up into the sixth position. 
There would be an interesting moment between the three leaders as they ran nose to tail in turn three. Jeff Burden had slowed up in turn three, and Jeff Gordon had run into the back of Jeff Burden, and then Ernie Irvin had run into the back of Jeff Gordon and pushed him back into Jeff Burden. None of the cars had significant damage, and they all continued on. But Ernie Irvin was able to pass the outside of Jeff Gordon on the front stretch going into turn one and put himself into the second plate position. A few laps later, Ernie Irvin was able to pass the 99 car in turn four, and he led the 155th lap of the race. Meanwhile, Ted Musgrave continued to move up. He was able to pass Hutch Strickland and get in the sixth position. Dale Jarrett was also on the move, too, as well. And when the race came back from commercial, we had learned that Dale Jarrett had worked his way up in the second position. The ninth cost in the race would come out on lap 164, and it was an extremely hard crash between the number 29 car piloted by Robert Presley and the number 25 car of Ricky Craven. The hard crash meant that both drivers would be have a did not finish, and Robert Presley would finish 39th, and Ricky Craven would finish in 40th. What had happened when we had the opportunity to watch the replays on TV was that Robert Presley had gotten loose off of turn two, and then as his car came back down the racetrack, he took Ricky Craven into the inside wall. Presley's car had so much momentum that it actually slid back across the track and hit the outside wall too as well. This continued a series of hard crashes and bad luck for both Robert Presley and Ricky Craven to start the season. Everyone remembers that famous pirouette and near flip for Robert Presley at the Daytona 500. He'd also crashed hard at Rockingham as well, and he had missed the Atlanta race. Meanwhile, Ricky Craven's season couldn't have started out any better. He came from the back to finish third at Daytona, and the following week he scored a top five at Rockingham. He even overcame a practice crash at Richmond to come home with a solid top 15 finish. But the last two weeks had not been kind to Craven as he crashed out of the Atlanta race and the Darlington race on the backstretch. Pit stops happened under the yellow flag, and Dale Jarrett was able to win the race off pit road with Ernie Irvin in second, with Jeff Burton in third, Jeff Gordon was fourth, and Ted Musgrave had now worked his way into the fifth position. That impressively gave Roush two cars in the top five and Yates Racing two cars in the top five, giving four, Ford four of the five, four of the top five position running positions. The race would restart on lap 175, and we'd get another long green flag run, this time 54 laps. Dale Earnhardt had the opportunity to line up on the inside to try to get a lap back, but he was unable to do so. A few laps after the restart, Ted Musgrave continued his move to the front as he moved past Hutch Strickland and moved up to fourth. Meanwhile, Jeff Gordon was dropping back, Hutch Strickland was running sixth, and Gordon was dropped back to the seventh position. Musgrave continued his charge to the front, this time passing Jeff Burden for the third position. Bobby Hamilton had pulled into the pits and eventually would go to the garage and would fall out of the race with a 37th place finish due to an oil pump issue. Hamilton, of course, was involved in that very first caution of the race, but had actually stayed on the lead lap for much of the race. With 95 laps to go, Mark Martin had moved up to 7th and Rusty Wallace was running 10th. With 200 laps completed and the Trans-South Financial 400, the running order was as followed. Dale Jarrett was the leader. His teammate Ernie Irvin was running second. Ted Musgrave was in third. Ted Musgrave's Roush teammate Jeff Burton was running fourth. Hutch Strickland was having a strong run in fifth. Jeff Gordon was sixth. Mark Martin was running seventh. Morgan Shepard was eighth. Kenny Schrader was in ninth. And Rusty Wallace was in tenth position. 
They made a comment on the TV broadcast that Dale Jarrett had now led 63% of all the laps in the last four races. And even though he didn't lead a single lap at Daytona, he had led over 50% of all the laps this season. When the race came back from commercial, Hutch Strickland had moved up into the fourth position. It was another strong run for Strickland at Darlington. If you remember, in the Southern 500, Strickland had come home a strong second to Jeff Gordon. And had he not had a late race overheating problem that starved his engine of some power, it's very likely that he would have won that race. Meanwhile, Jeff Burton was fading a little bit and had now dropped back to the fifth position, and Michael Waltrip had moved up into the top 10. With 218 laps complete, the race went to commercial. When they came back from commercial, Daryl Waltrip had been lapped with 68 laps to go, and Hutch Strickland had made the decision to make his final green flag pit stop of the race and pit from fourth position. Unfortunately for Hutt, the pit stop would be an absolute disaster. Everything went okay as they changed right side tires, but as they swung along around to the left side, the front tire changer reported that his air gun was broken. As a result, the rear tire changer had to finish changing his tire and then come up and finish changing the right front tire, the left front tire. Unfortunately, this was a big disaster and the pit stop took over 31 seconds. It resulted in Hutch Strickland falling two laps down. Now, if the race had been able to cycle back around through green flag pit stops, it's likely that Hutch Strickland would have made up one lap and maybe even made up, made up both laps as close as he was running to the leader. But unfortunately for Hutt, disaster struck on lap 229 when Brett Bodine began smoking and he would fall out of the race with a DNF due to an oil leak and finish in 35th position. Hutch Strickland was trapped two laps down. It was a good luck for Daryl Waltrip. He was able to race back to the line and get his lap back. And this set up all the leaders to make their final pit stop of the race, assuming that there were no more cautions. During the pit stop, two cars that had run strong much of the race would have some difficulty on pit road. Ernie Ervin came into the pits in second position, but it was another issue for a Ford driver with a tire change. They were unable to get the right rear tire re-indexed to put it, put it back. I'm sorry, they were unable to get the new right rear tire indexed onto the wheel properly. The pit stop took forever, over 36 seconds, and it resulted in Ernie Irvin coming in in second position and falling all the way back to the 12th position. Meanwhile, Jeff Gordon's team had made a significant track bar adjustment but their pit stop was slowed by down by the decision to pull a spring rubber out of the left front tire. As a result, Gordon came into the pit sixth, but left the pits in 10th position. The race would restart on lap 234, and we would run the final 60 laps under the green flag to the finish. The restart order was as followed. Dale Jarrett was leading. Ted Musgrave was running second. Jeff Burton was in third. Mark Martin was in fourth. Kenny Schrader was fifth. Rusty Wallace was sixth. Terry Labonte was 7th, Morgan Shepard was 8th, Jeff Bodine was ninth, and Jeff Gordon was running 10th. A few laps after the restart, Robbie Gordon's car slammed the wall and he had heavy right side damage. Gordon would complete 232 laps and be relegated to a 34th place finish. It continued to be a difficult season for Robbie Gordon, especially on the more challenging tracks, such as the short tracks like Richmond, and Rockingham and Darlington, that tire conservation were important and the groove was typically pretty narrow. With 54 laps to go, Rusty Wallace moved into the top five by passing Ken Trader. Meanwhile, the lead was heating up as Taft Montgrave had closed within two car lengths of Dale Jarrett. 
After the TV broadcast went to commercial, we came back to find out that unfortunately Ernie Irvin had hit the wall in turn three. Irvin was forced to pit, and by the time he limped his car back to pit road and had his pit stop complete, he was two laps down. He would finish in 21st position. Meanwhile, the adjustments that they made on Jeff Gordon's car and likely pulling that spring rubber out of the left rear had resulted in his car running much stronger. He was one of the faster cars on the racetrack, and he had moved into the sixth position with 35 laps to go. Pontiac was having one of their better overall days as Bobby Labonte, Johnny Benson, and Morgan Shepard were running 8th, ninth, and 10th, respectively. Jeff Gordon was able to pass Rusty Wallace for 5th position in Turn 1 with 27 laps to go. On lap 268, the running order showed Dale Jarrett leading, Ted Musgrave in 2nd, Jeff Burden in 3rd, Jeff Gordon in 4th, Rusty Wallace in 6th, Kenny Schrader in 7th, Johnny Benson in 8th, and Michael Waltrip running ninth. Meanwhile, the lead was continuing to be closely contested. Dale Jarrett and Ted Musgrave had run into heavy traffic, and Musgrave was trying to get to the inside of Jarrett multiple times as they worked through the traffic. Jeff Gordon was able to move into the third position with 18 laps to go. The TV announcers commented that Gordon had one of the faster cars on the racetrack and at times was running lap speeds that were pretty close to Dale Jarrett and Ted Musgrave. But because Gordon had to restart in 10th and come through all that traffic, Dale Jarrett and Ted Musgrave had a nearly 10-second lead over the third-place runner. Rusty Wallace was running fifth, and another big moment in the race happened when Mark Martin had to pit late in the race. Martin believed he had a tire going down, and the crew decided to change right-side tires only under the green flag. Unfortunately, that was not the tire that Martin had flat, and Martin had to come back into the pits to change left-side tires. This was a disaster for Mark Martin, and he would also finish two laps down in 24th position after running strong for much of the race. With 10 laps to go, the 88 and 16 were in heavy traffic, and Ted Musgrave was continuing to hound Dale Jarrett. With seven laps to go, Musgrave attempted to get to the inside of Dale Jarrett off of turn two, but unfortunately couldn't quite get enough traction on the bottom of the racetrack, and Dale Jarrett was used, able to use his momentum up high. Remember, as we talked about earlier, at this time at Darlington, the shorter radius and slower corner were turns one and two, and the larger radius and faster corners were turns three and four. You could typically run side by side in turns one and two. With four laps to go, Ted Musgrave continued to run right on the back bumper of Dale Jarrett. There was a hairy moment for all the drivers. As Dale Jarrett came up to lap Terry Labonte, Labonte slowed quickly and went to the bottom of the racetrack. Jarrett didn't expect Labonte to back off so much, and Musgrave got a chance to get a look to the inside of Dale Jarrett off of turn four. He was unable to make the pass, and a couple more laps ticked by, and we were with two laps to go. Musgrave was clearly looking to set up Dale Jarrett, hoping to make the race-winning pass with one lap to go. As the cars came to the white flag, Ted Musgrave began to look over Dale Jarrett. Jarrett's car slid up the racetrack in turns one and two, or it's possible Jarrett did that by design to get a good run off the corner. Musgrave darted to the inside, and he got his right rear quarter panel to the back quarter panel of Dale Jarrett, but he slipped off of turn two and got loose. He had no choice but to tuck back in behind Dale Jarrett and maybe lost approximately about a car length. Musgrave closed back in on Dale Jarrett hard in turn three, but Jarrett was able to block Musgrave's advance to the inside. Musgrave had to tuck back in, and there would be no way for him to beat Dale Jarrett back to the start-finish line. Dale Jarrett had picked up his second win of the season and his 10th career victory, and it was his first victory at Darlington. 
Jared had won back-to-back races as he had won the Atlanta race two weeks prior to as well. Jared had led the most laps, leading 171 laps, and that made four consecutive races in which Dale Jared had led the most laps. He had led the most laps and finished second to Jeff Gordon at Rockingham. He had led the most laps the following week at Richmond, but on a, fell back on a late restart to finish third, and it was victorious leading the most laps at Atlanta and now at Darlington. Jared had served notice that he was going to be a serious contender for the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship, and his season was off to an unbelievable start. Ted Musgrave was the bridesmaid once again, finishing a close second to Dale Jarrett and proving to have a strong run in the number 16 Family Channel Prime Star car. It was clear, too, that if Musgrave had decided to get rough with Jarrett, it may have been very likely that he had won the race. Meanwhile, Jeff Gordon had finished in third position. He was denied the opportunity to win four straight races at Darlington as he had been the winner of the 1995 Southern 500 and had won the 1996 Trans-South Financial 400 and the 1996 Southern 500. Gordon had led 16 laps and overcome a lot of adversity in the race, including hitting the wall early in the race and having to fall way back in the field, struggling with handling in the mid-stages of the race and driving on the final green flag run, which lasted just under 60 laps from the 10th position all the way up to third. Gordon and Jarrett were basically matching each other statistically as Gordon had picked up his fourth top five to start the season. He had won the first two races of the season at Daytona 500 and at Rockingham, and of course had finished fourth at Richmond, and he also had a third at Darlington, but his disappointing DNF due to engine trouble at Atlanta, finishing in 42nd position, had him behind Dale Jarrett in the points. But clearly, through the first five races, Dale Jarrett and Jeff Gordon had proven to have the two strongest cars. Jeff Burton continued a good start to the season and had led 49 laps at Darlington. Bobby Labonte had run fifth and had now had back-to-back top five finishes. He'd also had three top tens in the first five races, and his worst finish was 21st. Meanwhile, Rusty Wallace had had a good day at Darlington, finishing sixth. That gave Rusty three top six finishes to start the season, but unfortunately, he'd had two poor finishes at Daytona and Atlanta. Michael Waltrip finished seventh, giving him back-to-back seventh-place finishes for the number 21 Sitco Ford Thunderbird for the Wood Brothers. Meanwhile, Kenny Schrader picked up his best run of the season, the number 33 Skull Car, finishing in the eighth position. Jeff Bodine finished ninth and now had three top 10 finishes in the first five races. Johnny Benson picked up a 10th place finish. He had two top 10 finishes and had finished 11th or better in the last three races. It was a good day for DW. He had come up to the 11th position. Morgan Shepard had finished 12th, giving him three solid finishes on the season, a good run at Rockingham in the top 10, and that strong third-place run in Atlanta. Terry Labonte had faded a bit late in the race, and this was the first race this season that he had missed the top 10, but it was his worst finish, which you can't complain much about in five races if your worst finish was 13th. He was the first car a lap down. It had been one of Kenny Wallace's better days this season. He had come home 14th. It was a struggle for Daryl Earnhardt, but he actually got a better finish than he had in the mid-stages of the race. He eventually finished in the 15th position, but still, five races in the season, Earnhardt had had just one top 10 finish. Bill Elliott came home a quiet 16th. So when we look at the point standings after the first five races of the season, Dale Jarrett was the points leader. Jeff Gordon was second in points, 87 back. And like we said, at this point, Jarrett and Gordon had won four of the five races and really their seasons had been mere images of each other with the exception of being 
Jarrett's problem at Daytona had gotten him a top 25 finish, while Gordon's problem at Atlanta had resulted in a 42nd place finish. And Jarrett's ability to lead the most laps had also picked him extra bonus points too as well. Terry Labonte was doing a sol solid job. He was third in points, 90 points behind Dale Jarrett and just three points behind Jeff Gordon. Bobby Labonte continued a consistent start to the season. He was in fourth in points, 131 points back. Jeff Burton, another young driver, had gotten off to a strong start to the season and the number 99 X-side Ford Thunderbird for Jack Roush. He was sitting fifth in points, 162 points back. Mark Martin was sixth in points and was 164 points back. But much of that had been due to Martin just not having bad races, but also missing out on a lot of strong runs too as well. After a good day to Daytona 500, Martin won the pole at Rockingham, but finished just inside the top 15. At Richmond, Martin had struggled, and Martin had had a better day at Atlanta, but again, due to late tire problems, had had a tough day at Darlington. Jeff Bodine was sitting a solid seventh in points for the number seven car. He was 200 points behind Dale Jarrett, the points leader. Ricky Rudd was eighth in points, now 204 points back. The last two races had not been kind to Ricky Rudd. After a strong start to the season, the first three races, Rudd had multiple problems um, at Atlanta, and then he was not feeling well at Darlington, so he had to give up his car for Eldon Sawyer to drive, and they resulted in a pretty poor finish. Rusty Wallace was sitting ninth in points, 229 points back. Ernie Irvin was 10th in points, 233 points back. Ted Musgrave was in 11th in points, just one point behind Ernie Irvin. And meanwhile, the struggles continued for Dale Earnhardt. He was mired in 15th in points, 266 points back. Meanwhile, Dale Jarrett, Dale, excuse me, Dale Walchip was off to a very solid start to the season, was sitting 14th in points. The following week, NASCAR would have the weekend off because it was Easter. The week after that, NASCAR would head to Texas Motor Speedway for the inaugural Interstate Batteries 500 from Bruden Smith's brand new racetrack. So as we take a look at some final conclusions of the race at Darlington, Dale Jarrett's extremely strong start to the season continued, and he picked up his second win. At this point, it looked like that Dale Jarrett and Jeff Gordon had the two strongest cars, and they were likely to be serious contenders for the NASCAR Winston Cup Championship. Terry Labonte was keeping on with his nice, consistent self, and Bobby Labonte and Jeff Burden were both pleasant surprises sitting fourth and fifth in points. Mark Martin had been had an up-and-down season, and certainly had had some bad luck, but they'd also missed the setup, it seemed, at both Richmond and Rockingham, too, as well. Jeff Bonine was off to a solid start of the season, and Rusty Wallace and Ernie Irvin had kind of continued a theme of their season where they would have very strong runs, but also have a lot of bad luck, too, as well. So, as I stated earlier, next week, the NASCAR Winston Cup Series would get the weekend off, and then the following week, they would head to the new Texas Motor Speedway. I'm going to be on vacation next week, so there will be no podcast next week. But the following week, we will talk about the inaugural race at the Texas Motor Speedway. And if you remember this one, it was a pretty interesting one. Thank you for joining us on the Stock Car Racing Time Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Naiman. Have a great day.